I really appreciate the worship team today reminding us how important faith is in our daily walk. You know, we are established in our relationship with, with God by grace through faith, and yet faith wasn't just for that initial relationship. It's for daily living, isn't it? Faith is about every day, and thank you, worship team, for reminding us of that. Our kids are ready to head back, and uh, I was... I enjoyed, I was had some kids around me, I enjoyed hearing the kids worship today, didn't you? I'm glad they're in worshiping with us. If you'd like to connect with the staff, the church, our leaders in any way, we've got these communication cards that are right in front of you uh, in, the, in the pocket there, and it's a chance for us to get to know you a little bit better. Also, every Tuesday, we are praying for the needs of the church, so if you have a prayer request. We'd love to know what that is. Feel free to fill that out, and over on the welcome area over there, you can just toss that in the basket, and we'll be praying for you. Uh, just a few announcements. First off, a, a kind of a save the date for June the 3rd. That's a Friday evening. We're having kind of an all-men's multi-generational event, and uh, it's a triathlon. I don't know everything that is in this triathlon. I wasn't in that meeting, I think that's a good thing because there's a lot of fun details there. So we want boys all the way up to grandpas, everybody to participate in this. And uh, we invite you just to put that date down for June the 3rd. Pastor and I have an announcement now. Pastor. So we are um, really excited to tell you that we're taking the next step in helping people in Ukraine. And I'm going to just give you a little... I'm going to give you a little introduction, and then Pastor Paul's going to give you some more details, and it's like we might have a little audio stuff. We might not be doing a video. I'm not sure in a minute. Some there's some problems maybe, but part of our um, kingdom builders, what we've been doing, you know, you know how our church operates. We have our tithes of our church pay for the, the function of the church. Kingdom builders is above that. We give to it, and we give that to go ministry across the street and around the world, and part of around the world is Ukraine right now. And so what we've been doing, our church has been so generous, we've been sending money every Tuesday into Ukraine. Now, we feel like we have a special responsibility because of Pastor Paul and Christine, that they were in Ukraine for 17 years, and they weren't just there, they also have, they, were, they, they led an international church with all kinds of church planters under them. And so if you know the, the news, what's going on is all the non-Ukrainians had to leave, but the Ukrainians stayed. Well, that's our church planters. That these people, they, they raise them up. They're their people, and they're on the ground. So we've been funneling every Tuesday money into Ukraine, um, and then when we find out that it actually got to the people, it goes to Poland, then it goes to Ukraine. We find out the people in Ukraine, they contact back, say they got it. Then we release another, but some more funds. So we do that so that it doesn't get some get hijacked along the way. So we're doing that every week. Well, in that process of Pastor Paul being in communication with the Ukrainians. Um, there's things that they need that our money can't buy. We can send them all the money in the world. They can't buy some of the things they need. And they've been telling him what they need. And so he approached and said, hey, can we send a shipping container to, the, to, the Ukraine, to Ukraine with all the things that they need? Not the Ukraine. Uh, I caught myself. Uh, to Ukraine um, with the things that they're specifically asking for. And because of the connections we can get this stuff into the country where everybody else can get it to the border. Because of these guys' connections, we can actually get it into the country where it's going to be. So, Pastor Paul, why don't you tell us what that looks like? Yeah, so we're going to do a shipping container, so over the water, not through the air. 
and uh, we're going to start next Sunday. And we'd love for everybody to get involved in different ways. There's kind of four different areas that you can sign up with. Uh, right afterwards, we've got some sign-up sheets. The first is kind of the donation specialist, people who are going to be contacting companies and individuals in the area, manufacturers that manufacture some of the goods that we would need to be able to fill the shipping container. So people who contact those companies. Also, we need individuals who are then going to go pick it up. So maybe you've got an F-150 or maybe you're a Chevy guy, I don't know. And you're able to run over to one of these companies and pick up a bunch of boxes and deliver them to church. We're going to have two pods out in the parking lot by next Sunday. So we'll be able to fill those up in, in preparation for the shipping container to be dropped off around June 4th. We'll fill that thing up. Um, and then two other areas we need. Every single box that is sent in the shipping container needs a detailed cataloging. So once it hits Poland, it, it's, it's going to land in Gdynia, Poland at the port. The customs will go and they'll open up a random box and they'll look at our, our, our list. And if it lines up perfectly, they'll just send the whole batch through. But if it's off by one item, they'll tear the whole thing apart. And look at everything. So that means we need some good detailed people who are willing to come in and group that will pack things and another group that will catalog everything that's in the, inside the box, stick a QR code on it so that my pastors, when they walk up to this big mound of boxes, they can put their phone on it and know exactly what's in every single box to be able to go to the people in need. So I can tell you that step by step, things have been opening up and just... Uh, the import-export company out of Chicago has said, all of our expenses, everything we'll do, we'll do for free for you. And uh, so I think, yeah. A gentleman who was in our church in Ukraine, I didn't know this, has decided when he had to leave the country because of the war in his, in his city, he rented a giant warehouse and is doing expediting. So I talked to him this week, and he said, I will expedite everything into Cherkasy. In fact, last week, he actually had a shipment go into Mariupol. And so God has just been giving us great opportunities to be able to uh, connect with them. Next week, we'll show you a video of our primary church planner. We'll do distribution out of the Cherkasy region. Um, we're having a little bit of sound issue today. But just let me tell you one thing of, of where your finances have gone. It was about a week and a half ago I got contacted from Maxime. Maxime's one of our church planters in the north, really close to Chernobyl. That whole city was taken by Russians in the first few days, and he had not been able to go back in to even see the individuals that were there. But now with the pullback, they were able to go up there, and uh, his, Maxime has his wife and his child in Poland, and he's still in country. And he contacted me via Facebook and said, Pastor Paul, I went to the nursing home in the city where Paraska is there. Paraska was our first water baptism. She got baptized at the age of 93. And uh, so Paraska we put into a nursing home. But when he went up to, to visit after the Russians pulled out, that nursing home hadn't had food for three days. And so he's like, Pastor Paul, I have no money. I have nothing. And within three minutes, three we, minutes, within three minutes, there was money into his account and he was traveling to the nearest city to buy food. And that was all Kingdom Builders funds. Yep. And so I just want to say thank you for the little details you're doing to be able to touch that. Now, I, I'm going to be honest with you because, you know, Pastor Mark and I have been talking about this for about three, four weeks. 
I'm kind of scared of the shipping container. I'm really <laughs> kind big. of nervous, right? But I've, I've just com- committed that here, here at Portview, we're not going to dream small, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. And so if he does two, if he does three shipping containers, we'll just trust that he does this. A church in Milwaukee, Ridge Church, did it um, about two weeks ago. They sent theirs off. And in about a month, they raised $140,000 worth of goods. And just people just gave. And so I don't know what Ozaki County is going to do, but we'll do whatever God provides, and we look forward to, to doing that. So yeah. thank you, Pastor. So thank you, Pastor Paul. I will. Um, and just so you know, um, it will still cost us about seven to $10,000 per shipping container to get it there. The company's doing it at their cost. It still costs a lot of money. We still have to prepare transportation um, in it from the from here to, to Poland, from Poland across the country, and then into a different place in Poland, and from Poland then into Ukraine. So there's still expenses, but um, that's the last of our worries. We know that our church is generous, and also that our county is generous. So what we believe is going to happen is God's going to be connecting all of us, all of you and me, with people who also have resources. See, we I, I met with a couple pastors, and I told them about this, and they were so excited. And I said, understand, this is not a port view thing. This is as we happen to have a couple in our, in our church who lived there the whole time and has all the personal connections. And so this is a Wisconsin thing. This is a Ozaki County, Sheboygan County, Washington County thing. And so I believe God's going to connect all of us with people. Like, we have to find boxes. There's got to be a box company. Somebody's got to know somebody who's, who runs a box company or works at a box company. We've got to get all the stuff donated or reduce costs as much as possible so we can do as much as possible for the people in Ukraine. And we just believe God's going to provide it. Amen? Amen. Well, hey, I got an announcement to make that a, a bunch of you know this already, but I'm going to just tell it in case anybody does it. And you're saying, what happened to Pastor Mark and Suzanne? Um, starting next Sunday for the month of May, Suzanne and I will not be at Portview. And I'm just telling you so that you don't think there's anything wrong. Um, we're basically, we're two years overdue for a sabbatical, our po- Church of the Policy, after every five years of full-time service, full-time ministers take a sabbatical, and we were overdue for the last two years and did not think the last two years during COVID there was any way we should do it. And we're coming into right now, we're seeing post-COVID, all the stuff going on and saying there's no way we can take a full sabbatical, which is three months, that we just, we just feel like we can't do it. But we are going to take for the month of a month of May off. We'll still take our normal vacations, but also the month of May. So we won't be here the month of May. May is missions month, and we propose this whole uh, uh, the Ukraine thing. I'm like, you guys understand, we won't be here. We literally won't be in the state. We won't be here. And uh, so, so church, step up, because Suzanne and I won't be here. Um, and so um, we're just taking the time for some rest and also just refocusing, trying to say, God, out of this post-COVID world, um, there's opportunities and we can't rest on the past. You've got to show us what we're supposed to do for the future. So we're just taking time away so you're not, not run by all the details that have to go on every single day, which is just, you know, you guys know life is busy. Get out of that busyness and try to hear from God. And so we'll be back the beginning of June. Um, then we'll have some vacation in June, actually. But, um, but we'll be taking that month of May off. And uh, we will be back in time to load the shipping container. And so that's going to be the, the, the fun part. Um, on, on June 4th. So I just wanted you to know that. I know a lot of you know that already because uh, we've been telling people it's going to be coming up. But I don't want anybody to think, Pastor Mark, a couple things. Pastor Mark is interviewing somewhere else. No, I'm not. Uh, 
Pastor Mark or Suzanne is sick and something's going on. No, that's not the situation. We're just taking extra time away to just try to hear the heart of God for Portview Church going forward, for what's God asking us as a church family to do. All right? Who's ready for a sermon? All right. So last Sunday was what? Easter. And I was thinking about, when I was just thinking, Lord, what would, I, what would you want me to talk about today? I was thinking of, yeah, Easter's great, and it's awesome, and it's everything, and we're going to talk about resurrection stuff today. But saying, what were the disciples, what was it like for them? When, oh, he told me, and I forgot. The offering, thank you. Ushers, come forward this morning. So excited about stuff going on. And Pastor Paul actually whispered in my ear and said, we forgot the offering, take the offering. Come on down, guys. You can, can you receive the offering and listen to me start to do a sermon at the same time? We can do that, right? So, Father, you are so generous to us. Um, we live in a land of abundance. And, Lord, um, you have given us so much, and you, we want to worship you. We want to, we've worshipped you just with singing with our hearts today. But we want to worship you also in this practical way of obeying your word and giving the first 10%. You say, give, bring the tithes into the storehouse. We give that to you, the first of what we earn, knowing that you say, when, you, when we do that, then you will, you will pour out an abundant blessing on us. And then, Lord, you, you ask us, you say, hey, here's other things we can do. Let's give to these things. That, Lord, as we do these things, they're acts of worship. And you're saying, because we know this, Lord, you're saying, um, show me that you're all in, and I'll be all in. Because, Lord, you don't need our money, but you want our hearts. And so, Lord, thank you that we can make this tangible way of giving our hearts to you today through our tithes and our kingdom builder offerings. So bless everyone as we, as we worship you through our giving this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I was thinking about the people after Easter, like, okay, Easter's done, what, what now? And so, you know, on that Sunday morning, 2,000-ish years ago, the followers, this is kind of set the, set the background, the followers went to that tomb, expecting to continue with the burial traditions that they had, wrapping up the body and spices and all this stuff, but instead they found that the tomb was empty. And an angel spoke words to them that must have seemed to them completely impossible to believe in light of the previous week that they have. And I just want to think about that. Let's think about the state that they were in and then how post-Easter, what happened? So what was the state of mind, the state of their, just their, their psyche and their soul based on the past week? Think about that week before Easter Sunday, that in just the last week before Easter, they had seen Jesus enter Jerusalem on a donkey like a king, fulfilling prophecy. They knew he was fulfilling prophecy to shouts of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They had been, they're like, this is it. It's all happening. They had seen Jesus after that go and cleanse the temple, which is when he threw the money changers tables over and he, and he said, my house shall be a house of prayer. And he also, the significance of that whole thing is the money changers were set up in the, in the area for the Gentiles. That's what he cleaned out. He was saying this when he cleaned it, when he threw his tables over, all are welcome with me because they had set that up and kept the Gentiles out. And he's saying he cleared out the area for the Gentiles and that's where the tables were. So he's there saying, he's saying, look, what's he doing? He's coming in prophecy. He's making a way for the, for the Gentiles. Then he had had the last supper with them. 
where he went to the thing. He said, this is my body. This is my blood. And then he did something miraculous or amazing. He took them and he said, took his clothes off, wrapped himself in a towel and washed their feet and said, I'm a servant and now you be a servant like me. And they're thinking, look at this thing. Is, this thing is ramping up. And then they follow him to Gethsemane. And in Gethsemane, he's in such agony. He tells them, listen, the end is coming, but they don't even believe it. And they go to Gethsemane, and he's in such agony. They watch him sweat drops of blood and ask the Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, let it pass, but not my will, but they, thine be done. And then out of probably sheer shock, all of a sudden they see the mobs come, and they arrest Jesus, an angry mob, led by whom? One of their own 12, you know, Judas. And... Um, They've taken off and he's given a mock trial. Then they saw Jesus in the, in the next hours beaten and spit upon and nailed to a cross and then hung between two thieves where he died the most horrible of deaths. And finally they saw him taken off the tomb, off the, off the cross, completely dead and buried in a borrowed tomb. So that's the mindset they have. But then Sunday morning rolls around. And it must have been impossible for them to grasp the words of the angel on that day. The angel said this, you are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. And you can imagine their minds and their emotions are just spinning. He's alive. Jesus is, no, we saw him. He's dead. He did a lot of good things, but there's no way he's alive. But the angel said it, he's alive. Friends, that phrase, he is alive, that reality, from that moment on in their lives, that post after Easter, Easter day, and everything to follow, from that moment on in their lives, that message, he is alive, became the central focus of everything in their lives. From that moment on, living in a relationship with the risen Savior, Jesus being alive, was their life. It was everything. Um, that, that, that's, what, that's all they did. That's all they, that, was, that was everything about their life was that after Easter, they lived in a relationship with the living Savior. Now, before Easter, they had been in a very real relationship with Jesus, right? intimate relationship. He corrected them. He blessed them. He helped them. He loved on them. Intimate relationship with Jesus for over three years. And what they found, and what we're going to find today, is that from them, is that what they found was that they were still in a real relationship with Jesus, with the risen Savior. It didn't end at the day that he died, rose again, and ascended into heaven. As a matter of fact, if you look at the book of Acts, and that's where we're going to start with today, if you look at the book of Acts, we find the number one thing that the early church talked about and lived for and got in trouble for was the fact that they lived this reality that Jesus was alive. It was the dominant theme of everything they did from that moment on. It changed everything about their lives. And what we're hoping to find is it should change everything about our lives. So flip in your Bibles in the book of Acts. This is where a paper Bible might be easier. Flip in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. I'm just going to show you the places just in the first chapters where everything they talked about was about the resurrected Lord. It's just constant. Chapter 1, verse 22. Beginning with, so this is where they're selecting Judas's replacement. Because a lot of these things are just going to come in the middle of a story. 
So they're selecting this replacement. They say this, verse 22, beginning, what, what, what did this person have to have as a criteria? Beginning with the baptism of John, until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must, be, must become a witness with us of his resurrection. They're saying, what's the criteria for someone who's going to fill Judas's place? He must have seen and believed that Jesus is alive. Look at chapter 2, verse 24. It's in the middle of Peter's sermon that he's preaching. He says on Pentecost, But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. He preached about the resurrection. Look at verse 32 of the same chapter. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Look over at chapter 3, verse 15. But put to death uh, the prince of life. He's talking about another sermon. Put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. Look at verse verse, uh, 26 there. For you first, God raised up his servant. He's talking about uh, the the, the people who uh, are coming to Christ. But to Jews, but you first, for you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. God raised up his servant. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. Being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Look at verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health today. It's when they healed the, the man at the temple gate. Look at verse 33. And, when, and with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. This last one, chapter 5, look at verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. On and on and on and on and on it goes. The central reality that they understood and that shaped their life was this, that Jesus had been dead, but that Jesus now is alive, and they were living their lives in that reality. In fact, in Acts chapter 23, the apostle Paul says it's because he believed in the resurrection that he was arrested and on trial. Look at that. Flip to verse to verse 23, or chapter 23. I know we're doing a lot of scripture, but I want you to get the point today. Look at verse, verse 6. But perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of the Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. Because he'd been saying, Jesus is alive. And in Acts chapter 25, the Roman governor Festus told King Agrippa that the reason that the Jews wanted Paul executed was because of his belief in Jesus' resurrection. Look at that, 25, verse 19. But he simply had, he's talking about Paul, the, the, the governor is saying this is what's going on with him, can figure out why they hate Paul, but they simply had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. Friends, normal for them was living in the reality that Jesus really is alive. To them, 
That's what Christianity was. Jesus, the Son of God, is alive for everyone that we can all, everybody, can know him and can have salvation in him and can have their lives transformed by him. For them, Christianity wasn't primarily about songs. And I love songs. Who liked worship today? It was awesome. But guess what? It wasn't primarily about songs. It wasn't about sermons. Who likes sermons? I like sermons. Less people like sermons and like songs. Um, It's not about buildings. It's not about Ukraine containers. It's not about programs we do. All those things are good and important. But it was simply this. In In the earliest of the church, what Christianity was, was walking in the reality that Jesus is alive. And that changed everything. That's the heart and the soul of what the Apostle Paul said was actually the definition of the gospel. Flip out of Acts to the book of 1 Corinthians with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the earliest creed that we have. It's where the creeds came from. The Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed were were developments of this chapter in in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. And look what the Apostle Paul says is the gospel. 15 verse 1. Now, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you. So he said, this is what I preach about, which you also received and in which you also stand, by which also you are saved, the gospel message, if you hold it fast, the words which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of most importance what I also received. So he received it from the Lord, this message, this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he ascended to Cephas or he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until today, but some have fallen asleep or have died. Then he appeared to James and then all, to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And as he's referring to himself, Paul said, and he appeared to me. Who appeared? The living Savior. Paul says, this gospel, the message, the idea, what you understand, by which you are saved, he said, is this. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And we know it happened because he appeared to Peter and he appeared to the 12 and he appeared to 500 and he appeared to James and he also appeared to Paul himself. He said he is alive. Paul says the gospel is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Friends, the resurrection isn't just an important thing. According to Acts and, and these other teachings, it is the only important thing. Because those early Christians so believed that Jesus was actually alive and that he was with them by his spirit, it affected everything about how they lived. They would face, and we see this in Acts, they would face any situation knowing that they were not alone and that Jesus would care for them because he was with them, so they were able to live in peace and contentment all their lives, no matter what happened, because they were living in the relationship and the reality that they were never alone and were never without hope because Jesus was always with them. Look at something that the Apostle Paul says about this that you say, I never made this connection before. Turn with me to the book of Philippians. 
Philippians chapter 4. This is where we always go when we have anxiety. We have issues in our life. We're challenged. We're struggling. We go to every pastor knows. First place to take everybody, Philippians chapter 4. But there's a connection here that we often don't see. Look at Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The central thought that allows Paul to say that this, say all this, is found in verse 5. He's going to say, listen, God will give you peace. And it's all based upon what he says in verse 5. The Lord is near. That's another way of saying the Lord is here because the Lord is alive. Paul knew Jesus was alive. Paul knew Jesus was near and with him. And he knew that for everybody else when they were struggling, the thing they needed to understand was Jesus is with you. He's alive. He's He's not pages on a book. He really is real, and he really is with you. And he says, and if you will get that, the Lord is here. The Lord is near. It will change everything. Anxiety will turn to peace, is what he's saying, when we live in the reality that Jesus is here. He repeats that idea again here in chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Look at Not that I speak from want, for I have, wrong chapter, no. Here we go. 4, 11 through 13, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be, here we go, be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In every and any circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him, is that capital H there? Yes, who's that talking about? Jesus, I can do all things through him, through Jesus who strengthens me. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Why? Because Jesus is alive. He's not just an idea. He's just not an idea. He is really alive. The resurrection in flesh, Jesus is alive, and him and the Father have sent the Spirit, and they are with us. The Trinity, the the incarnation, God came to humanity in the form of Jesus, and by his spirit, he is with us. Knowing that Jesus is alive, they could face any situation knowing that he was present with them, with not only his presence, but with his power to minister. It's why Peter and John could walk up to a lame man at the temple gate, we we read it earlier, And say, I do not possess silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. Because they knew that Jesus was a living reality in that moment. He was present and he was the one who would do the miraculous healing. Friends, what a difference it makes in our lives to live in this reality, to actually live like the early church and to know that Jesus is alive and is present with us every day and in every way. It makes all the difference. You're having struggles? Jesus is with you. You have a need? Jesus really is with you. You feel alone? You're really not alone because Jesus is with you. What they learned in the days after Easter is that the relationship with Jesus didn't end. He was still with them. Now, it's great, and I mean, it's God's plan. 
It's God's hope. It's God's blessing for us to live in this reality, and we're meant to live in this reality. However, let's be honest with ourselves for a minute. This relationship with Jesus, which is real, and we know it, and we've, we can't, I gave you so many scriptures to say, you cannot deny the truth that this is the message of God. This is the reality of our lives. However, this relationship with Jesus can sometimes, and I would say this oftentimes, be less tangible than we wish it was. A little less tangible than it was for the disciples because they actually did see him alive, right? It can be a little less tangible. We know he is alive. We know it. But sometimes we don't always feel that connected to him. You ever feel that way? You know he's alive, but you're not always feeling all that connected. I know I feel that way at times, and it's not all that unusual for me to feel that way. And if that's the case, that we're less, we believe it, but we don't feel it. It's less of a thing, as much of a reality in our lives. I will say this, it will affect how we live. They did the things they did because they lived in that awareness. And if we don't live in that awareness, it will affect what we do. We will be much less dependent on God and much more dependent on us. And then it'll change what we do. So with the remaining time that we have today, I want to share with you what I have personally found to be the most important practice that I engage in to try to cultivate a continual awareness of the Lord's presence in my life. How can I do, what can I do, what can you do to create, to, to be aware of the reality of the risen Savior so that living in relationship with him will be more normal for me. It will be more like what I read on the, in the pages of the book of Acts. And what I have found that, make, that works the best for me, matter of fact, the thing, I don't know how I'd even survive without this practice, honestly, on having any kind of vibrancy in my relationship with Jesus, is something that I call feeding the flame, feed the flame. And some of you say, I've heard you talk about this before. Tend the flame, feed the flame. This, to me, is the imagery. I don't have any tattoos. I know I'm one of the only people in the world that doesn't have a tattoo anymore. But if I ever was to get a tattoo, this is the only tattoo I would ever get in my life. I would have a tattoo to remind me every day to feed the flame. And I just might do it someday. Maybe when I retire, I'll get a tattoo. My kids would love it because they all have tattoos. I am the only one in my family, the only one in my family that does not have a tattoo. The only one that does not have a tattoo. But if I was ever going to tattoo, this would be the only tattoo I'd get because I need it. Josh actually gave me a bracelet for Christmas a couple years ago, leather bracelets, that says this on it because it's, it makes such a difference in our lives. You see, when we came to Jesus, some of you are brand new in Christ and you understand this. When you, and you remember, because it's fresh right now, when we come to Christ, what happens is we begin a relationship with him. We once were separated because of sin, but we understand that he paid the price for our sin on the cross. He's now alive, and we, we turn from us being our own gods, and we turn to him. He comes into our lives, and a relationship with him is ignited. In essence, the relationship we have with him is like a fire inside of us. He ignites a spiritual flame within us when we come to know him as Savior and Lord. So when you first come to Christ, oftentimes that fire burns really, really 
bright and, and everything is now about Jesus. Matter of fact, it's maybe so much about Jesus that the people around you go, hey, pal, cool it a little bit with this Jesus stuff. Anybody ever hear that when I first got saved? I did. I still hear it sometimes now. But, uh, but you know, cool it with the Jesus stuff. But then something happens and it's natural. It happens over time that flame begins to fade. It begins to diminish. And it does, it does get re-energized at time. It gets rekindled at time when we do things like come to church and worship and sing Waymaker. And we're like, yes, yes, yes. And the fire burns a little brighter. But then, you know, maybe when you pray with somebody, it kind of gets ignited. But then it seems like it still tends to dwindle. And we say things like this. Jesus doesn't seem to be that present to me anymore. I, can, I cannot tell you the amount of times I've sat in my office talking with people who that's what they talk to me about. Jesus just doesn't seem to be that present with me anymore. Well, I have found over now 40 years, and by the way, Mike, his 50-year with Jesus anniversary this, this, this week or month, this day, 50 years with Jesus, I said, I'm just at 40 this year. So you're 50, 50 years with Jesus. But I found over 40 years with Jesus that what happens that, that, that happens, that, that feeling happens not because Jesus is any less real, not because Jesus has somehow moved away from me, but that I, by my life, have moved away from him, at least moved away from my intentionality on being aware of him. I have begun to drift. The relationship is available, but it's not as vibrant because I have neglected it. And it's going to happen while you're a pastor and while you're anybody else in the world. You, you can neglect your relationship with God and do all kinds of good God stuff, but still neglect the relationship with him. And I found this to be true in my own life. But I've also found that this does not have to be the case. That if I will feed the spiritual flame, that my relationship with Jesus can be very real and a very present reality if I think about it like taking care or feeding or tending a fire. And this is what I mean by feeding the flame. That just like a fire in a fireplace needs to have wood put on it continually to keep it going, you don't light a fire once and walk away for a month and think when you come back, it's still going to be there or walk away for a week or walk away for a day or even walk away for a couple hours and think it's still going to be burning. So my spiritual life needs to have fuel put in it continually throughout every single day of my life. At the beginning of the day, I, I, and throughout the day, I have to stoke the fire. Just putting a log on in the morning won't last the rest of the day. And there's a lady um, from the 1600s named Madame Guyon, and I think I've talked about her maybe a couple times over the last you know, dozen years. Madame Guyon, who influenced me, influenced Suzanne in her thinking on this. In, in, in the 1600s, she wrote a book to her daughter, and it was basically written about how she, she called this way, how she could pass a day devotionally and uh, how she could, in, in, in essence, tend the flame in her life. And she writes it, and, and from that, from her writings, I've come up with four elements that I need in my life in order to tend the flame. She had eight of them, but four elements that I found that if I will structure my life around, have those in there where I'm feeding the flame, that... Um, I will be aware of the Lord's presence in a much more real way. Now, these are not laws, the things I'm going to say. Don't everybody go home and say, I have to do these four. This is wisdom, not righteousness. This is wisdom. It's not righteousness. It doesn't earn God's favor. It doesn't make God happy. It doesn't cause God to do anything. It is wisdom in that it helps you. 
It helps me so I don't drift as far as I might, and I stay close to the flame. So here's the four things that I've incorporated into my life, and I don't do it perfectly. Matter of fact, I do it very, very imperfectly, and when I do it very imperfectly for a multiple level number of days, then I really feel the effects of feeling like, where's God in my life? And I'm going, you know, where's God's abandoned me? He didn't abandon me. I'm just over here doing everything else instead of doing what I need to do to tend the flame. So here's the four elements that I put in, in my life. Number one, before I get out of bed in the morning, literally before my feet hit the floor, I want to affirm what is true and commit my day to the Lord. And so what I have, and I've shared this, I've actually taken photos of this. It's a little, little thing I have laminated next to my bed that I can say from memory because it's been there so long. But I have a thing I call my morning confession. And some of you, I've snapped pictures in the past and gave it to you. And I said, this is fine, this is for me, but it's made for me. So it's a morning confession. I confess to the Lord, I pray to the Lord quietly because Suzanne and I are in bed together. I say to the Lord, these are what I know to be true. I know that I'm hidden in Christ. I know that, that I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights and I live in a stable, unshakable kingdom of God. And I go through a morning confession. It takes me a couple minutes, five minutes maybe. When we're laying there, we're not talking. I'm just laying there. And when I wake up, I go through the morning confession in my head. Who knows who Dallas Willard is? Great theologian and teacher. Dallas Willard says he did, before he passed away, he was asked the same question. How do you start your day? And he says, before his feet would hit the floor, he would pray through the Lord's prayer as a template. Again, taking five or 10 minutes. And in, in the quietness, before he engaged anything, he would pray through the Lord's Prayer. He sort of, you know, you're my father. And he was thinking about, what's that mean? My father, who's art in heaven? Lord, I have a heavenly father. I'm, I'm not alone. I'm, I'm taken care of. And he'd pray through the Lord's Prayer every morning before his feet hit the floor. So I try to, and most every day, I do this except for hunting season when the alarm goes off and I have to fly out of bed and get everybody else up. Right, Josh? I'm always the alarm keeper. Uh, most days, before I wake up, I, before I'm out of bed, I pray through my morning confession or the Lord's Prayer. I do one of those two things. The next thing I do, and again, this is kind of from Madame Guyon, but it's what works in my life. The second thing I do, and I have, I've, as I've aged the Lord, I have much less rigidity about this. So I'm saying what I'm going to say this because I used to be very rigid about what I had to do. And now I say it like this. I spend some time devotionally. In the morning, I spend because I don't know what my morning's gonna what my morning's gonna be be like. I don't know what I, what meetings I have, where I gotta go. Sometimes I just get up and I'm I'm gone. Some days I have more time, so I spend some time devotionally with the Lord in the morning. Things like prayer and reflection, silence, contemplation, scripture reading, devotional reading, praying in the Spirit. Um, I want to do those things before I jump into my work week before I jump into my work day, the things I've got to get done that day. You know, like you, I have, for my desk is filled with legal pads with lists of stuff. And you sit down and it's just always more stuff than there's time in the day. That's how most of our lives are. And so before I get engaged in that, where my mind's going 100 miles an hour, I want to spend some time devotionally with the Lord. It can be 15 minutes, it can be 10 minutes, it can be 30 minutes. And spending some time in silence and reflection and prayer um, Bible reading in the Lord. And for me, I think it's in the morning before I get going. Then, and this next section is the part that's really made a difference in my life, the third part. During the day, I add logs to the fire. And I think about it. It's why the tattoo would work, and it's why the bracelet works. Josh got me that bracelet because I had an ugly 
rubber one I wore for years that reminded me of it. He's like, yeah, you're, you're too old to wear that anymore. You can't wear something like that. And so I had a nice leather one. I still have it. Um, to, to, to remind me that during, during the day, and here's like you, during the day, my mind is thoroughly engaged in what I'm doing. I'm going from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing, and I'm just, I'm going. So I have to remind myself during the day to tend the flame. So what I find works is that in between meetings, during breaks, things like lunch, I take some time and like, I got a bad habit, I don't take lunch. I never do feel bad for our staff because I kind of set the model that, that I don't take lunch. I just work all day and I eat while I'm working. But I'll stop myself and say it's lunchtime and I'll stop and I'll do something to put a log on the fire. Um, short prayers between activities, devotional readings. I got two or three different devotional books sitting on my desk that I pull out and I read one chapter. This would be a great time to read your proverb of the day. You know, there's 31 proverbs in 30 or 31 days. Read a proverb every day, middle of the day, lunchtime. It would be a great time to, to allow the Lord to speak to you through a proverb a day. And another thing, Christian music. Sometimes you're going and you can't stop, but you could listen to something that uplifts your soul. Christian music. The goal is this. Think about how can you feed the flame of your soul every day. And then the last thing that I try to build into my life, and this is what I'm the most imperfect about, because by the end of the day, I'm falling asleep on the couch at 5 o'clock. Anybody else understand that? You sit down 5 o'clock. That's something about getting older, I think. But sit down and you fall asleep. And then you say, i got to get up to get the next thing to do. Is sometime at the end of the night, near the end of the day, I want to review my day. There's a, a term for it. It's called the examen. It simply means this. On purpose, spend some time asking the Lord to help you review the details of your day. And I literally close my eyes and I think from when I got up and interactions with Suzanne and phone calls and things I did and people I met with and work I did. And I go through it all. And I say, in that, God, where were you working? Where did I see you do something? Where did I feel an opportunity to join you in something? And I said, yes. Where did I see an opportunity to join you? And I said, no. And if I find where I, that I missed the mark on something, I say, God, I don't, there's no condemnation. And I say, okay, God, help me to do it better tomorrow. Whenever God points out things to us that are problems, he doesn't do it to slap us and go, bad mark. He's doing it to say, mark, you can do better tomorrow. That's why he disciplines us, that we can do better. So the examen helps me see those things. It helps me celebrate the good things because oftentimes we don't take time to celebrate. We're like nine of the ten lepers who Jesus healed. Nine run away and go on to the next thing. Only one return. The examen helps me return and go, you know what, God, I was praying about that and that happened. The examen helps me go, you know what, um, I was worried about that and that didn't happen. You know, God, I was, or God, today, you know what, you, you, you worked things out so we're going to do this great thing on filling up a container for Ukraine. You know, it's just, it, you go, wow, God, thank you. But you overlook those things if you don't take some time to actually give your mind and your soul a time to review and to think about it. So um, these things in my life, as I've built them into my life, and again, imperfectly, I find that I'm much more aware of the presence of God. I'm living more like Paul, because I don't have what Paul had. Remember Paul gave the whole list? He appeared to him, he appeared to him, he appeared to them, he appeared to them. And then, last of all, he appeared to me. Has anybody had Jesus appear to you? I haven't, okay? It's not real normal to, to see that. I mean, maybe, but I've, I think I've had the Lord talk to me sometimes. But most people don't think a gift of that. But he's here just as real. 
And I found that these different things help me to be aware of his presence. How does the worship team come up this morning? Um, this is a structure that I'm working on um, because of this. And I'm, I just want to say this to all of us. No matter what you could gain in life, all the money in the world, full IRAs, you know, all the pension plans, everything you could have, you know, all the blessings, big this, that, or whatever, you all know as we get on in life, we get to see what's really important. And what's really important is living in the reality of Jesus. All that really matters, Suzanne asked me the other day, what do you really want as my birthday? She said, what do you really want this year? And at first I told her three things, and the three things all had to do with other people. She goes, okay, good. Uh, now you talked about me, our family, and the church. What do you want this year? And I said, there's only one thing I want. I'm being totally honest. Only one thing I want. I want to be aware of Jesus' presence in my life. I just want to live in the reality of his presence so that I'm doing what he wants me to do and engaging in, in, in activity with him that matters. Friends, we know this in life. Take it from a guy who's getting older than some of you and younger than some. It's all that matters. And, and we, can, we, we can be aware of his presence. Simple things like tending the flame, feeding the fire. It's key. So keep the fire burning. Feed the, feed the flame. Don't fool yourself into the lie that says you can have a burn, a, a, a flame burning bright in your life by coming and sitting in a church one day a week or one Sunday every month. Think that that will give you a, 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 a bright flame. It won't. You're living off somebody else's flame. It's important. It's one of the things God wants for us to help us build the flame. But man, you gotta, you got to put wood on all day long. All day long. All day long. And here's the deal. No one else can do it for you. No one. No one can do it for you. Let's pray. Lord, help us to experience your presence in this moment. Lord, I feel that as we worshiped today as a church family, you really helped us to experience a reality of your nearness. And Lord, I thank you that we can come together and you designed it. We see it through all of church history. You designed it for us to gather together and to celebrate you and look at your word and fellowship with each other and spend time worshiping you. And as we do that, it does fill our tanks and it ignites the fire within us. And I thank you that we have the gift of doing this. And I pray that every person right now in their heart, they feel a fire burning bright. Reality of your presence. And now I ask you, Father, just for your help. We admit that we are very imperfect and we're easily distracted. And we often don't get it. And we ask you to help us to learn how to walk in ways in our lives where we become more and more aware of your very real presence. Your very real presence with us. We want to hear your voice. We want to engage in the things that you're doing. We want to be called to do things that are way beyond our ability and we get done with them at the other side and we go, only because of God. 
so that we are just, so that our, that our, our spirits are just built up with this reality that you are active with us. We don't want to feel abandoned. So we ask for you to help us today. Speak to our hearts. Friends, our eyes are closed. We're in a moment of prayer. Talking to the Lord, asking Him to help us. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. You've heard about Jesus. You maybe attended church. I'm not talking about any of that. You've never said, honestly, I want Jesus to be the ruler of my life. I want to give up being the ruler. And I want to come to Jesus and ask him to receive me and to cleanse me of my sins of my past make me brand new and bring me into his family. You've never really done that. But something in your heart today talking about this idea of the real presence of Jesus, you feel an emptiness, you feel like I'm missing something and that only reason you feel that is because the Spirit of the Lord is showing you that. If you feel that today and you're saying, I'm ready, Pastor Mark, today to say, I want to give my life to Christ. That's you. Our eyes are closed. Our heads are bowed. You say, that's me today. I want you just to raise up your hand. I promise I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to see who to pray with today. Lead us in a prayer. All right. Slip up your hand real quick. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that in this moment, you are here. And Lord, we look to you today and we say yes to you. Come into our hearts. Make us whole. Make us real. Now, Lord, there's a whole bunch of us in here, and we live the real world, and a whole bunch saying, Pastor Mark, I resonate with what you talked about today. I often feel distant for everyone in this place today. I pray that today you would use whatever could come from your word today to give us health in helping us walk near with you. We trust you to why don't you stand with me this morning as we worship let's worship together allow the Lord just to speak to your heart in these moments